If you have ever been curious about Dungeons and Dragons, or the people who play it, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Ready Set Roll Insight, where you will learn how to be a better player and what drew people to the game in the first place. Now, join us for Insight with your host, Daniel Wells. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Ready, Set, Roll, Insight. I am your host, Daniel Wells, and with me today is my special guest, Charlie from Negative Modifier. How you doing, Charlie? Not bad. Happy to be here. We don't get a lot of time to actually talk about tabletop RPGs on our show, so it's always nice to have a chance to do so. We're always kind of playing them. <laughs> Well, it's uh, it's always nice to have an interview with people, you know, and talk more like in depth about like tabletop games and all that, and have a little bit of a vent instead of just you know playing the game as as it was. Oh yeah, no. absolutely. Um, so tell me a bit about yourself, Charlie. Um, tell me a bit about your tabletop experiences, like how many years you've been doing it and everything. So I am one of those people that can honestly say I've been playing tabletop RPGs for better or worse, on and off for about half my life. I did the math relatively recently, and in just straight kind of linear starting to now of recording this time, it's about 15 years. There's some on and off periods during that. I started way the hell way back when in the 3.5 days of D&D, uh, back when there were a lot fewer games, and well, What's the right phrase for it? You had to, you bounced around some. There was kind of a small, there was more stuff to pick from. There was some indie stuff at that point, but you kind of had the big stuff. You had Vamp, you had Shadowrun, you had D&D, obviously, and you had some Call of Cthulhu stuff. But that, that's not fair. There was Call of Cthulhu stuff then, but it wasn't quite the same presence it was now. And you kind of mix and matched and bounced around through all of that. Our The guy that taught me to play a bunch of the stuff way back when was interesting, where we had one big ongoing D&D campaign. That was kind of the big serious thing. And between story arcs, we did these kind of either with side games or just kind of side stories. So it was very, it was kind of interesting. It was the side stories within the world that we were replaying. And after the time this was setting up the next arc, like half the time our player characters for the kind of side stuff were flash and trash. They're going to die or something worse is going to happen. And yeah, they were kind of used to the new setting you're about to dive into. Or they were a complete break. It's like, hey, we're playing a horror game. Why? Because ne- we've been playing lots of kind of hack and slash stuff. The next one's probably more puzzle-focused. So we're going to say more puzzle-focused at the time. And it's kind of purely puzzle-focused at that point. But yeah, so I took a break kind of as many groups do when you're kind of growing up through high school and stuff. You go to college, you splinter off. I played some through college, but we honestly didn't have time for it. And that's when 4.0 came out. That's what 4.0 was coming out right when I went off to college. It was kind of getting its stride. And that sat badly with me and the people I was playing with. So I kind of tapped out for a period of time. Came back for some stuff. Played on and off throughout then. Very casual stuff. And then I broke my shoulder. And <laughs> so, yeah, it's... What I found out very quickly was that pressing buttons on a on a video game controller or really any motion whatsoever that was like the, the rumble feature or anything like that caused me weird amounts of pain but you can roll dice with one hand and i was lucky enough that paizo had a kind of uh i'm blanking on the exam starfinder society thing. i got mm-hmm. back into in a major way with starfinder which i'd been aware of but never really pursued like i'd heard of so my game for a long time was shadow run and are you familiar with shadow run at all i have played shadow run yes 
which version of Shadowrun? The later version. Yeah, so I'm I was playing back in the kind of version two three era of that oh, thing boy. where <laughs> you could roll like and I keep this joke going to this day because I really like the joke is that you could roll like. You had a uh, you didn't have dice pools. You had dice drums. It was possible to roll, and I'm exaggerating some for comedic effect, but like 30, 40 dice and still fail. That's how Shadowrun was set up back then, and it, it was a very different game. But the, as part of this, the whole joke was that eventually no one would be able to play Shadowrun anymore because all the people that knew how to play Shadowrun were going to die, and then no one who was willing to learn Shadowrun at that time, so <laughs> it was going to be a dead game because it was too complex and. I love Shadowrun, but the fact that that game almost required an Excel sheet to run for certain eras tells you all you need to know about that thing. So I'd heard about Starfinder. A bunch of my friends that had been my Shadowrun friends were like, hey, it's it's not quite the same thing. Like You can't min-max your way to making an accidental god character, but it might scratch the same. So I'd been aware of it. So, you know, on some websites, like, oh, this thing looks interesting. Kind of heard things about Pi, so I played some Pathfinder. It really wasn't for me. And broken shoulder time to do this type of stuff like yeah i'll check out starfinder kind of thing like why not well it's like got space, back into that space pathfinder right yeah it's a little more complicated than that like it's i the comparison to shadowrun makes a little more sense i think it's it's very gear dependent like the game i think pathfinder is also very gear dependent shadow uh, shadowrun was all about the gear when i was playing it and then starfinder kind of falls somewhere in the middle where it is possible to min-max very effectively with kind of gear builds and kind of a lot of the sub feeds into the gear and there's mods and there's armor mods. So, okay, yeah, you have this armor and it's great, but it's only good against physical attacks, energy attacks, trash against. So hope none of these pirates have laser pistols, despite the fact the most common damage in the game is laser pistol. There's kind of that stuff going on in the background, and that's kind of what got me into it, because it was that more kind of complicated, not quite tactical, not quite, like, not tactical-ish, but not tactical the same way that Shadowrun was, where it's like, okay, cool, I have this armor that's great against bullets, lasers, but trash against getting hit with an axe. (laughs) Why an axe? Well, because it's bludgeoning and a force weapon, and it can be specialized, it can also be, like, a lightsaber weapon, technically, at that point. That's wild. But yeah, so yeah, so did the Starfinder Society thing for a little bit. I think Starfinder Society is an adventure what's the D D one called? Like adventure party or something? Adventure guild? Adventure path or like Adventure path, I, Society? No, whatever uh Pathfinder yeah, I was trying to remember what the D and D version of it was, but Oh, uh, Adventure League. Adventure League, yeah. I think those are great, but they're also not really the games I like to play necessarily. They're very they are. I kind of they're designed, they're modular driven and I then started kind of messing around. It's like, okay, I'll buy some Starfinder books and start messing around and see what I can write for myself. And then I found a group that had tried to get into it a couple times. I'd had one guy try and GM a couple times. I'm like, I got a lot of experience with this, actually. I won't run Pathfinder for you because I don't really like fantasy settings that much anymore, but I'll run Starfinder for you if you want to give it a shot. And that kind of got me back into a major way and kind of... Again, I came back after like, we'll call it like almost a five year active break where it's like, I don't even know what's going on. And in that time, a bunch of games had come out that had they been around back when I was in college or especially high school would have kept me playing from that point on. Like I've always loved the Cthulhu mythos. Mm -hmm. 
but I've never liked how Call of Cthulhu in a couple games interact with it. It's very kind of hesitant and kind of looking at games and looking like, okay, like I like these horror games, but I'm not sure I like this aspect of these horror games. What's out there? And in the most Delta Green community way of finding Delta Green through a very wrong recommendation on the website, it's like, oh, if you like this, you also might like this, Delta Green. And it's this picture of this black slipcase two-book thing with a green triangle on it. And it's a if you've never seen the kind of slipcase thing for Delta Green, it's a hell of a looking book. Like, it's one of the most stylish with no style whatsoever, kind of like nothing pops immediately, looking things out there. I'm like, okay, what is this? I start digging into that because it's kind of mysterious and weird. And I'm like, okay, it's got Delta Green. Maybe it's tactical or something. I like tactical stuff. And turns out it's Cthulhu meets X-Files, but it's more aggressive. Like, it's not, you're not, unlike most Cthulhu stuff, you're not investigators, you're agents you're actively fighting this stuff it's more kind of men in black less molder and scully like there's an aggression to it there's you're not adventuring but you are fighting but fighting's also not the main focus because it's cthulhu mythos and everything's worse than you are and it was kind of this weird moment of my time off it overlapped when the initial versions of this stuff had come out and then they'd done this full more formalized hey it's its own standalone game type of thing and I fell in love. Like, I scrambled to find as many groups I could run Delta Green for. I tried to play as much Delta Green as I possibly could. And around the same time, I'd, run, I'd been running a podcast called The Wicked Awesome Cast, which has now been shut down. We're still kind of figuring out how to end that officially. But I'd always enjoyed podcasting. I like the process of it, I like the creative kind of aspect of it, the talking. And I'd never been that into most actual play podcasts. I listened to a couple that I'm a big fan of, but like, I wasn't really into what that was. And Something about Delta Green, like I was playing a lot of it. And it was like, okay, I need to, I, I want to contribute to this. Like I want to kind of document the weird stuff that's happening with this game because there's something special about it. If you've never played Delta Green, I highly recommend anyone who's thought about running a horror thing play it. There is indeed something kind of special about that game. There's a reason that kind of lots of people, like it. it's a dead end game for me. Where it's the, I will compare kind of anything in the Cthulhu mythos the rest of my life to Delta Green until something meaningfully better comes out. Like it's, it's one of those weird ones where it's like, okay, what would make you stop playing Delta Green? Delta Green Two. So Delta Green um, is based in horror. It's a horror yeah. game essentially. What's the system like? Like how is it more improv? Is it more reactive? Like, uh, so, it, have you played Call of Cthulhu ever? I have played Call of Cthulhu before. Um, it, it was fun and everything. I just didn't yeah. like the percentile thing, really. Well, so it's it's again a percentile based game. I think where I think where Cthul- I, a big problem I've always had with Call of Cthulhu is that your characters are aggressively normal, and it's a great feeling of these are normal to kind of slightly better than normal people in extraordinary circumstances right delta green is based on the same system it kind of condenses some of the skills down where it differs is where it kind of goes the fantasy approach where it's like you're not a normal person you are better than normal person kind of thing like you're starting off at a base of okay yeah you're whatever reason you've been tapped by the super secretive kind of conspiracy to go okay cool we're gonna send you on missions and by that i mean the idea of the game is they're basically pulling from stuff like the FBI, the Navy SEALs. So your character is, at a minimum, good at what they do, hypothetically. Like, you can make a character by design that's terrible at what they do. That's a very kind of conscious choice, but the game kind of guides you down 
making a person that's good at investigating, good at fighting, good at kind of the aspects of Delta Green where, and it's more lethal in some ways than Call of Cthulhu is because you're looking for trouble. The game has kind of a pressure aspect to it where you're on a clock, it's time, you gotta go, you gotta get this done, like it needs to be fast and now and sloppy and I think where Call of Cthulhu kind of feels very meticulous and planned, there's a skin of your teeth vibe to Delta Green that I think keeps it going in ways that the game is still more narrative focused and something more combat oriented like Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder which kind of at backbone are medieval combat simulators it's still lots of talking but when it comes time to go loud with firearms the system's there it's pretty good it's a streamlined version where it's not it's not going to be for the gun nuts out there it's kind of okay it's a small medium or large handgun here's the damage here are the things that would fall under that category, but we've streamlined it so you don't have to know everything about bullet drop and tactical gear. It's like it's heavy to have it's heavy body armor. It does this much damage. Against what? It just does this much damage. You can be nitpicky if you want, but it just does this much damage reduction. Let's have ceramic plating. Who cares? You can if you want, but we're not gonna make you know kind of that level of depth. It's more about rushing in blind, trying to save the family from Eldritch Horror, and then kind of like, okay, you can't tell anyone about this now, and backing off. It's it's interesting you bring it up because I think Call of Cthulhu will teach you a lot about uh, Call the kind of the Cthulhu mythos. Delta Green, you won't learn anything about the Cthulhu mythos, <laughs> but you'll interact with it in a way that I think feels like if you're looking to kind of have the sensation of what real life would be if Cthulhu was out there, it's Delta Green. Like you will learn nothing about the world and mythos from Delta Green by design. Because your characters are like burning, or burning arcane books and smashing figurines and stuff like that, because they're dangerous. Cthulhu, it's I'm gonna poke this thing till something bad happens, and then understand why that bad thing happened. So, Does that make any sense? So, like, it's having the book knowledge versus actually doing the thing and learning it from the field, sort of deal. Yeah, <laughs> then... yeah, it's. That, that... Well, it's also a modern setting, too, so it kind of takes some things where it's kind of the 1920s, the 1930s, 1940s, they're very specific. The occultism was a big deal in the U.S. and the world. Delta Green is now, so it's like, you have cell phones. How do I research this? Google it. <laughs> Who's Cthulhu? Well, here's the Google, well, here's your top results. <laughs> Delta Green has worked quite hard to make sure if you Google that, they find you immediately and have questions for you, and oh. yeah, it's... But yes, it's kind of all those things where it's like, okay, snake people. Here's all the conspiracy theories that exist about snake people. And maybe you can glean something useful from that. Maybe you can't. But also, you have an auto shotgun and lots of buckshot. Do you need to know a lot in that situation? If that's that, that they bleed, you can probably kill them. So how did this lead into negative modifier running first season as Delta Green? It's, I was always going to run Delta Green, I think, for that. Like, it was kind of, I want to do this. It very much became a, I want to start another podcast. I want to give a shot at this actual play thing. I was kind of gearing up for it, and then the pandemic hit, and it was kind of the, okay, I have even more time on my hands now to kind of do this. We're shutting down one podcast. We're spinning this thing up. I have some people that are from one podcast. I've been kind of slowly getting into tabletop RPGs that are responding very well to Delta Green. And then the first season just kind of happened. So where it gets even funnier is that, so I was approached by the 
one of the members from the original cast of Negative Modifier from the JSL files, the guy that played Agent Yoten, actually, through Roll20, he's like, hey, you know how to play Starfinder, right? And I'm like, yes, yes, I do. And he's like, would you be willing to teach me to play Starfinder? I'm like, yeah, I'll run like a little campaign for you guys. And I think it was like a four or five part kind of loosely kind of alien inspired, but also kind of Grey's conspiracy and other stuff. Like Starfinder's got this great backdropping call. I think they're the hidden or the obscured or something, which is just literally reptoids, lizard <laughs> men, and greys. And something else. I'm blanking on like the, the, the skinny white things. They're just in that canon, by the way. You can play as them. The greys are a player race in that game that you can play with, and they have all the things you'd expect them to, and I'd had fun messing with that. But So my deal with this group was, hey, if I run the Starfinder group for you, I want to play this Delta Green. I want to play this game called Delta Green. Do I have this campaign I've worked up? I can't find anyone to play it with, and I want to record it. If we, if I want to doing a podcast, I'll let you know, and you can kind of final say yes or no kind of thing, and they were all for it, and then JSL files happened, and I had a lot of fun doing it, and they were never going to be the permanent cast. A couple of the guys, one of the guys kind of kept on for a little bit, but also Delta Green's one of those things where once you've played it, it's very hard to go back to not having played it. Like, there's just... I was actually talking to kind of some people about today online about the... There's an unnatural skill. Call of Cthulhu has the mythos skill or something. Mm-hmm. Delta Green calls it unnatural. It's basically the idea of what you know to be actually true. And I think Delta Green does a great job of basically saying, you don't know anything useful, but you're smart enough as the skill goes up to go, okay, vampires aren't real, but blood-sucking monsters are. What is on this plane with us is not a vampire, but it's still sucking human blood. Right. Like, it's kind of that paranoia. And I have joked that kind of, it's the idea that it's the only thing, it's one of the few systems out there that, depending on how you use it, lets you kind of use your play a meta knowledge. And, like, you can't put the genie back in the bottle with Delta Green. You're going to use every tactical advantage. Like, as someone who's played it a lot and run it a lot, I can't separate my brain occasionally, so I'm always taking builds where it's like, yeah, I have lots of unnatural. Why? Because I know Shagoths are weak to electricity. And I'm always going to know that for the rest of my life kind of thing, unless something terrible happens. But I can say my character doesn't know that, but if something happens in-game, I'm going to sit there and go, sure sounds like a lesser deep one. Yeah, That's hard to separate out, so it's that. That's what happened for me whenever I like started DMing and GMing in different systems. It's like, oh man, I don't know Jack Dilly about this uh, or, or monsters or anything. But once you get behind the screen and see everything, yeah. your brain just sticks it, right? It's like, it's always going to be there. And so I guess that makes it difficult Like whenever you're making a new character like you said, not to have that meta knowledge. Well, so that's what the perfect storm was. So, like, the idea behind JSL files, I made three campaigns that are loosely connected to each other, but kind of they can be played independently. We're in the middle of the second one. It's called Hawthorne's Crusade as we're kind of recording this right now. The first one was called JSL files. It was always going to be called whatever the cell's name was files. And it's unique where it's intended and it was intended to be if you've never played Delta Green before and don't know anything about the Cthulhu mythos, here it is. It's the ultimate kind of being thrown into the deep end of everything at that point. And this group had had minimal experience with anything Cthulhu, which was perfect. And you kind of got to, and we got to play this kind of very interesting story of you learn 
kind of what the reality of it is playing the game. Like, and it's it's a fun campaign. I think a lot of cool things happen. There's intentionally kind of more mythos dumps that would normally be in a Delta Green campaign, specifically because on one hand I'm making a podcast, on the other hand, I want to teach these guys some of the cool stuff of why the stuff is cool. Like, spoilers, I guess, there's a point in our first season where the agents come across a mad scientist's eldritch horror zoo and through kind of his study notes they get to learn a bunch of mythos stuff (laughs) and (laughs) that should be fun for everyone and it was but also you can't do that in call of cthulhu but delta green totally can so is it so it's a lot more of a it's a looser system and what you can do i think so i think it's it's very story driven like it's lots of back and forth it's it's definitely a conversation with players, I think. Like it's Prince Centile based. The game stresses the unless there's a consequence, don't make your players roll. And I think the phrase I'm slowly becoming famous for on the podcast is I'm looking for critical failures. Like it's the no no, you're you're gonna find this. I'm looking for it to really mess this up that like triggers the bad thing to happen I have prepared that only triggers because you messed up badly. Like, okay, you're searching. You're gonna find the stuff in an abandoned apartment eventually, as long as you have enough time. But like that critical fair is you knock a pan off a table and the neighbor comes by at that point or something. Like it's the I'm looking for you kind of to make your own mistake at that point as opposed to, yeah, you don't find this super story critical thing. Guess you gotta go outside now. It's not. I'm looking for kind of you're gonna find it either way because I need you to find it either way. But I'm looking for kind of the X factor that I can use to do something horrible to your characters is the joke at that point. And there's a rhythm to the game. It's kind of it's very conversational. Like when it becomes tactical, it becomes tactical. It's very about the rules then. But prior to that, it's kind of in the community. There's lots of great kind of like people make the pin boards of like the conspiracies they're playing through. It's like, okay, this is connected to this. And it makes sense. Like the notes you take for this game are absolutely crazy because the game is by itself crazy. It's like, okay, cool. The old woman may or may not be a Wendigo, but that may or may not matter because Hansel and Gretel, might be arms dealers and yeah what the fuck that's delta green so how does one like as a character progress in in delta green and as you as a dm is there certain metrics that progress your play as well so like character advancement Uh, like your skill like you said your natural skill goes up as time goes on is yeah, it, the more you more, fail, more, the better you get. Essentially, yeah, it's it's a, it's a improvement through failure. Whenever you fail a roll, you get to check a checkbox in your character sheet at the end of the session. You roll some dice, and your character gets d4 better at that type of thing. There's also this kind of because this game is simulating what the real life of these high-powered agents would be. At the end of his operation, your character goes home, and this is one of kind of the more unique things about the game that I think more horror games should actually look to doing is the idea that your character has bonds and the bonds are kind of an interesting mechanic where they are the most human part of your character. Like they can be anything from your kids, your workplace buddy, your kind of alcoholics anonymous support group, like, and they can get real weird. Like I've had a couple characters where it was like the neighbor's dog was a bond. And for some reason, my character cared a great deal about that dog. And in function, the way bonds work is they are kind of your character's ties to reality. You can conversely offload any sandy damage you take onto those bonds, 
So basically, they become kind of mental shields against the damage you're taking character-wise. Either a character dies or they go insane. And you can kind of stave off the insanity, which is what you take a lot more of and have a much larger health pool of by basically kind of projecting it onto these people. So when you go home at the end of a mission, it's about improving, maintaining, and the fallout from that. Like, offload a bunch of sandy damage onto your wife. How does that affect the relationship? The fact that, like, your character was pinned down by a deep one in the bottom of an oil rig or something like that, and the character, the character or player made the correct choice of being like, okay, I'm going to offload the six sand damage I took onto my wife as best I can. They offload four. That was half the bond score left at that point. So it's like, okay, what is your character feeling when they see your when they see their wife again after almost dying? And they're like, okay, yeah, I'm doing this for her. And it's like, oh, God, I survived. But now I'm thinking about deep ones at home, and that's a problem. And so you get kind of these very human moments in a game that's all about Eldritch Horror, which I think kind of adds to the intensity of it. Like, it's it makes it realer in some ways because there are people with normal lives and friends and pets and hobbies and that's baked into the game where it's like, okay, you can like, when you're at home, you're fulfilling responsibilities, you're, you're doing stuff. Life ticks on. Your boss is mad at you that you burned five vacation days to go on a surprise vacation. That was your cover to go hunt down a bunch of zombie wolves and the Yukon or something like it's yeah, I, life ticks on and happens behind you. I actually, I like that. The bond system bond system shoving it onto somebody else and then you get to see the fallout and the actions between everybody about that and yeah and it's the... and it's one of my favorite parts of the game in some ways like it's because it, you have characters like that are getting invested in their bonds you have players that are like no I care about this bond even though there's made up thing I made and I'm not projecting it and I'm not projecting it and then they're finally forced to and it's like oh that was a big bond offload so you went from having this great idyllic relationship with this one person to they hate your guts. Why do you keep disappearing for weeks on end? So what can a person expect listening to the first few episodes of your podcast, Negative Modifier? All right. Yeah. So Negative Modifier is, um, it is designed. So Negative Modifier's JSL files, our first kind of opening campaign, if you will, is designed to be an introduction to Delta Green at a whole kind of thing. We actually, it's the only time to this point, as of recording this, that we've played a written by Arc Dream scenario. It's a kind of famous thing called Last Things Last, which, spoilers, if you listen to our podcast, we will ruin that for you some. I also recommend anyone who's thinking about playing Delta Green run that. You can get it for free. It's part of the Quick Start book. It is this kind of bizarre, not, not bizarre, but kind of entertaining cultural touchstone for the entire Delta Green community. We make jokes about it. We say, so how's Marlene and stuff like that? Like, how's our buddy Clyde doing these days? Because we've all played this one scenario, and it's good. It takes... I can run the entire thing in an hour and a half. You can spin it out to being longer. In the case of why we chose it for negative modifiers, start for JSL files was I wanted our listeners to kind of have at least the same base touchstone as the rest of the Delta Green community because on one hand this might be your first exposure to it maybe you're coming to this because you like Delta Green maybe you're not, maybe you just kind of found our logo cool and like hey they do a podcast, check us out I wanted to create that same kind of you're not playing it but you're playing through with us if you will moment for the entire community of Delta Green if you will, like it's the you, here's the entry most people go through, it's 
the famous one, A, because it's free, but B, because it's really quite good. It will explain what Delta Green is in its entirety in the span of an hour or two kind of thing. It's the one I recommend everyone run for their first thing, and that's our first scenario. You get to learn some of the in-jokes. Um, I've modified it some to kind of make it work for the rest of the campaign, but yeah, it's the opening arc. It's called Last Things Last. It's, I think, five episodes long, four episodes long. You can, if you're more the scenario, you'll know exactly when it goes from as written to negative modifier original content. It's all kind of us from there. That was a deliberate choice because I wanted people to, well, all the written stuff for Delta Green is amazing. Like, there's no bad written scenario. There's ones people like more and less, but they're all still just fantastic. Like, And I recommend reading all of them if you find yourself enamored with the game in any way, shape, or form. I think it's Black Sites? Whichever one contains PX Poker Night is the first uh, scenario is, the, is probably the best one to start with. But we deliberately, at least as of now, don't play anything written, so we're not spoiling anything for any player groups or GMs. So it's kind of the, you get to go into the more accessible stuff raw. I got lots of complicated stuff to say, and that works great for Delta Green. And I like conspiracy theories, so writing for it's a lot of fun. Awesome. But yeah, that was an intentional choice. So again, like it's... I love this game. I want people to be able to play this game as accessibly as possible. And if you enjoy the shenanigans I put players through, you'll probably enjoy Delta Green. Well, I think that was a great self pitch for Delta Green in of itself. <laughs> yeah, and I guess like we don't just play Delta Green too. We have a we played a game called Sum Room. We're planning on doing more of. We played a game called Locus uh, by Cobblepath Games. We've accidentally become a horror oriented podcast that <laughs> as best as i can try we can't escape like we're currently like we're wrapping up actually recording our second delta green scenario called hawthorne's crusade and we're looking at our stuff and it's like okay what do we want to play in our kind of little break time because my brain needs a little time to air off between delta green campaigns and hawthorne's crusade is a long crazy ride that if you like jcell files you're gonna love Hawthorne's Crusade. It starts off at the level of crazy J Cell ends with and gets crazier from that point on. And just more Delta Greeny and more kind of weird stuff and kind of conspiracies and paranoid players. And it's it, it's great. I think it's it's a great moment, I think, for any kind of GM running something for a podcast where it's like, oh, the start of this of the start of this campaign is the weakest part of this campaign. And I still think it's really good. And it's out there now, so I can allude to it more effectively. It, The first arc has the darkest thing we've ever done in negative modifier history up until that point. And I honestly think there's a moment we keep escalating darkness every single arc through all of Hawthorne's Crusade because that's the type of campaign it is. It was fun talking about that when we started airing episodes. We're like, oh, what's different this season? It's dark. Darker than anything we've done previously. By design? No, complete accident. <laughs> it's just going to keep happening. Yeah. It's no. Delta Green. It's the spiral. <laughs> yeah, no, we got some plans for other stuff. We've been talking about doing some space stuff. This game called Coriolis. I'm trying to slip into the mix because I want to get that game more airtime, and I wish more people knew about it because it's just an amazing game, and it's beautiful and wonderful. But Well, I'm glad you're able to... More stuff. I'm glad you're able to find something that you can really enjoy and keeps your mind going, even though it's all yeah, insanity-based stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's... I 
I think kind of the one thing I always joke about is the fact that at least for me, I get involved enough in my campaigns. There's a certain personality to them. I think when I write stuff, character-wise, I've been playing tabletop RPGs long enough. It's kind of a okay. I want to play someone that's not me. Like I think the whole idea of people trying to use characters to work through some stuff or process some stuff or kind of like explore an aspect of who they are is very cool. I just don't do that anymore. I'd much rather create a um, IRS agent who may or may not be a little bit crazy and has some pseudo-militaristic backgrounds, none of which really speaks to me as a person. But when I write something for Delta Green or any campaign I'm writing, really, it's like, okay, what am I grappling with? So you can see a lot of me from my kind of writing standpoint in the negative modifier stuff. And people seem to have responded well to that. I think the player... The players have enjoyed dealing with kind of like the weird stuff I have to think about these days and how it gets processed through the lenses. And yeah, it's because of the modern saying it gets to be more timely than some stuff does. Like we can, we can do an entire operation that has the backdrop of the whole crazy Wall Street bets GameStop thing as an unnatural entity in the background. <laughs> That's not the focus, but it's there. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I something I, real it, unnatural happened on the I, street bets. I, I'm sorry, like anything of like if you're familiar with that history, that the entire thing is insane, and like sp- spinning it off is like, oh, what if it's an eldritch entity that was the original starter of that? Makes more sense than what happened in real life in some weird ways. Well, yeah, I don't know how the stock market works, but it did that, and. It, it was kind of slip in the background. It was one of those rare moments where everything just could go wrong for some people and go absolutely right for others. Yeah, and no, it, I. It was the good. It was the right people to have it go right for. That's all I'll say. I. It was a fascinating ride. As someone who stayed the hell out of that whole thing and watched from the sidelines, it was like I was already going to run this scenario that was kind of roughly based off finances and weird stuff, but. How do I inject this weirdness into this? Because there's something to be said here. I'm not sure what to be said, but like, let's hint at some stuff real subtly, if you will. And yeah, that's all there. At the end of the day, I think you can insert Eldritch Horror into anything. No, I think that's the fun thing. I think it's... I, I'm not sure which show I was on talking about this, but I grew up playing in the woods a lot, and looking back... Me and my friends should have died mm-hmm. 50, 60 times over kind of thing, which is based on statistics and how deep we went off into the woods and just kind of some of the weird stuff. Like, we never found a cult. We never found a dead body. We never found, like, a secret hobo cave or something. But, like, you saw weird stuff out there. Like, we definitely saw the occasional, like, oh, someone definitely lived here at one point, hasn't for a long time, but we should leave right now. Like, it, the joke I've had with a couple friends now, statistically, one of us should still be out there, hypothetically. And... Yeah, the weird. I've always kind of loved that feeling of horror where it's like it's not. Did you ever watch the show Chernobyl? I did not know. So that show's actually a big influence on how I run stuff, especially in Eldritch Horror, where it's kind of the, the monster of that is radiation, which isn't a monster. It's a very real scientific principle, but it's just there. There's nothing you can do about it. It's just kind of there in the air of that show, and it's represented by music and. I love Eldritch Horror because either kind of that's your best explanation for it, where it's like, what's the monster? Presence? And then occasionally an actual monster, but mostly it's just kind of there being horrible and you have to deal with it, or it's trying to rip your throat out because it manifested as a weird dog creature. But it's still also just there. All right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've I've definitely though experienced the moments of being out in the woods and there was just that random rundown trailer you didn't know it was there yeah. the entire time you lived there, and then you found it. Yeah, and you thought I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah, no. I, one of the funnier jokes my wife has is one of the first times we went back to visit my folks. We were still going out. Was we were driving somewhere? She looks at me and goes, "Do you understand? You lived in the Blair Witch Project?" And she's right. The road we were driving down is like that iconic just. Skeletal trees, as far as the eye can see, it never even occurred to me. Like, oh yeah, I grew up in a horror movie. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> well, um, hate to say it, but we're already at like the end of the time for the interview. Yeah, it went by quick. Even though it's already been thirty plus minutes, it went by fast. Hopefully, I was entertaining enough. Not long-winded. I think it goes by fast whenever you, uh, whenever I have an entertaining guest. So, because <laughs> so that... you want some insight out of me of some kind, right? Well, I prepared yeah. some for that. At the end of the show, um, hence the namesake of Race at Roll Insight, me and my guests give a piece of insight to you people listening to take forward into your next games, as GM player or even into your own life. Um, would you like to go first since you're already prepared with an insight? So I got so I got kind of a two-parter on this one, and my advice to anyone kind of is play as much as you can because it's only going to make you better. Even if it's a terrible, terrible game, just playing something, even if you don't like the system, there's got to be something about it that you can take with you to any game you move forward from that. Like, you're going to get stuff wrong, and that's fine. I get stuff wrong, and I'm recording it, and I just edited it out of the podcast. Yeah, that play stuff don't be afraid of playing new things too like if it's like if you want to stick with a system that's fine but like if you kind of do adventure stuff maybe do a horror thing maybe do a more social driven thing variety is the spice of life and it's all about kind of just experiencing as much stuff out there as possible that was really good insight my insight however is actually taking a piece of what you told me during this interview oh look at real life Look at all the crazy shit that's happened in your life. Use it in your story. Use it in your character background. Do something wacky with it. Real life can sometimes make for the best stories, in my humble opinion. Like, I made a redneck with a flannel shirt and jean shorts one time for a game. But I used, like, experience from my own life in his character development. <laughs> And people had, like, a good time listening to it and everything. And I was like, I just took things that I knew from going out into the woods and stuff. So, so yeah. Yeah, just... no, I've, I've oh. definitely learned the best characters are ones that kind of have something real about them, if that makes any sense. At least something that you can base your own experience off of, too. Yeah. Because then you put a lot more thought into the character or the story. But, um, but once again, Charlie... Thank you for coming on to Ready, Set, Roll Insight, being my guest for this interview. It was great hearing about your podcast, your extensive background in tabletop history. Probably you got to see all the crazy stuff and got to experience something uh, that I might actually check out. Delta Green, huh? It's even if you don't like the game, like it's I know I'm talking about the game a lot in this other. It's not for everyone. I think it's. It is definitely a game that's kind of PG-13+, plus, if not more. It's a, it's a more mature game, and not kind of in a hoity-toity way, just in a subject matter 
this game is dark type of way. And yeah, if anything I've said appeals to you, you should definitely check it out. It's a hell of a game that I've yet to have anyone I've exposed the game to say they like regretted playing it. Some of them have been like, I don't want to play this anymore because it haunts my dreams, but they always have fun. It's a, it's a lot of fun. It's very easy to pick up. I think it's surprisingly new player friendly. Like the stuff that's written for it for rules is just masterfully done. I think kind of to kind of give credit where credit's due, Arc Dream Publishing and the crew behind that, the very small team, has just managed to create something amazing. It is both deep and accessible simultaneously. Uh, this is no joke. I occasionally, when people are confused as to how percentile based systems work, tell them to go read the rules for Delta Green and then it teaches them how to use percentile systems because it's just written really well. Like it's very clear and exact what it's trying to do. And I think it's, even if you don't want to play a horror game, there's something to be learned from and kind of experience from just kind of diving into the Delta Green universe and kind of experiencing a just group of masters at the craft of creating tabletop RPG stuff to tabletop RPG stuff. And it's impressive. Like the Impossible Landscapes campaign they put out there is a thing people talk about, not because it's just a cool campaign. It is. It's because it's just the book itself is art. Like it's incredible to hold that dictionary size campaign. <laughs> Got any links, socials, stories? Uh, yeah. We can be found anywhere podcasts can be found under Negative Modifier. We're also on YouTube under Negative Modifier. We also have a website that's www.negativemodifier.com. It will take you to what I've deemed to be the most popular place to listen to us. But if you have, if you can't find us, someone let me know because I thought I did a pretty good job of tracking all that down. We're also uh, at NegModPod on Twitter or Instagram. That's kind of where most active, those two. But yeah, no, mostly it's for listening to the show. We hope you enjoy. As per usual, all those links will be in the show notes below of this awesome. episode. Um, once again, thank you, Charlie, for coming on to the show. I've been Daniel, your host, and I will catch you next time on Ready, Set, Roll, Insight. Goodbye. <laughs>